You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome back to A Bigger Life. I want to look today at Psalm 36. It's one of these psalms written by David, and you can follow along in the show notes whenever you are listening to a podcast. You can hit the information icon or swipe whatever direction you swipe to get to your show notes, and I always have the verses there for you to look at. And we're going to we're just going to look at them here for a minute. I'm going to talk about it and then we're going to pray through it. Now, let me just say this that there's a certain kind of power that comes into your life when you learn how to pray scripture. So it takes practice. And so we do that here on this podcast. We don't just talk about the Psalms. We take time to pray through it. And I lead you in a time of prayer so you can kind of pray with me and, uh, and let me guide you as you pray through scripture. And there is something that happens. I know for me, there's something that happens that softens my heart, wakes me up spiritually brings me into a deeper connection with God when I learn to meditate on the Psalms in, in, in particular and to pray through Scripture, and, and I mean the Psalms in particular, which is why I spend most of my time praying through the Psalms in this podcast. And Psalm 36 starts off saying something that may cause you at first to think, well, this isn't talking about me, but not so fast. So Psalm 36.1 says, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. This is the ESV, so it keeps a lot of the gender his heart instead of their heart, which the NIV does. I think the NIV is right in doing that. I think gender-neutral language is usually a good way of translating the Bible when it's not talking about God. Because when the Bible uses masculine pronouns, it's certainly just using a convention back when we used to do it in English. But now we, we kind of use the plural pronoun because masculine pronouns don't communicate the same way that they used to. We want to think of them as universal because that's what the way the Bible means it. It's not just talking about men. It's talking about everybody. So just a little footnote there. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their heart would be a way we would translate that. Deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Now here's the thing that I want you to understand. And that is the Apostle Paul quotes that verse right there. So that second part of verse 1, he quotes it in Romans 3.18 when he's talking about the universality of sin. And he's talking about we all have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And before Paul says that, he's quoting these verses. He has a litany of verses that he quotes out of the Psalms, and this is one of them, to show that we all have sin, all of us deal with this. And so in a, in a whole Bible interpreting the whole Bible kind of way, as we look at the New Testament, it tells us that the way we apply this psalm and interpret this psalm when we read it is to see ourselves in the passage. So it's not just talking about the wicked over there, but it's talking about how wickedness works in our own heart. Transgression speaks deep in our heart. And so it's, it's, it's not easy to recognize. It's hard to notice. But here's how you notice it. There's no fear of God before your eyes. In other words, you think of God way less. There's not this sense of awe. There's not this sense of, well, fear. There's not this sense that my creator 
is is this God of glory that created this entire universe, and he has a will for my life. He's given commandments for my life. He claims ownership of my life. He created me specifically and owns me specifically, and I'm accountable to him, to how I live my life. My life is not my own. It belongs to him. It's created by him, and it's created for him, and I live through him. And so there's a sense of fear of God, this sense of I, I, I am accountable to God, and God is a far more awesome, great, and glorious and fearful God than I have any idea. But what transgression does is hides that from me. It hides it deep in my heart where there's no fear of God before my eyes. Verse 2, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. So in other words, we, we, we think less of God, way less of God, and we think way more of ourselves than we ought to think. Uh, we think that we're doing better than we are. Well, I'm doing fine. I'm good. And we get on autopilot and we think we're fine. But it says, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. So when we flatter ourselves in our own eyes, that's kind of the key, right? We're just sort of in this self-deception where we think we're doing better than we are. We're better than we are. And so that when we flatter ourselves our own sin cannot be found out and it can't be hated. It can't be seen for what it is and hated. It can't be seen for what it is because we're protecting our own sin. We think we're protecting ourselves when we protect our sin, but we're not. We're protecting something that is making us lesser than and is hiding God from our eyes and is something that is speaking deep in our heart. So that's what happens when we listen to ourselves. You know, we go through life sort of on autopilot, listening to our thoughts, listening to ourselves, and really what we may not be aware of is that we're listening to the voice of sin deep in our heart that's saying God is way less than he is and we're way more than we are. There's no fear of God before our eyes and we flatter ourselves so that we can't hate our sin. We can't see our sin because we're flattering ourselves. And I think the remedy in Psalm 36, at least, is to speak to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Now, this is not one of those psalms that specifically speaks to ourselves, like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's actually speaking to myself. Uh, But this is one of these psalms where we, we pray to God and we're speaking to ourselves as much as to God when we praise God. When we declare what is true about God and worship God, we're speaking to God and praising God, but we're also speaking to our own hearts as we do it. So that's what David does. In verse 5, he says, Your steadfast love, O Yahweh, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Now that word steadfast love again is here. And that word steadfast love is translating this Hebrew word chesed, which means God's loyal love, his his steadfast love, his faithful love, his committed love. He is covenantly committed to his love for his people. That word appears, of all the times it appears in the Old Testament, half of those times it appears in the Psalms. The Psalms is poetically, emotionally praising God for his loyal love, his steadfast, committed love. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. The universe itself cannot even measure the infinite steadfast love of God. Now, here's where you have to stop and say to yourself as you praise God, 
you have to say to yourself, I'm going to believe in what this psalm says, what the Spirit of God says through David in this psalm, what Jesus obviously prayed many times as he prayed through this psalm in his own life. I'm going to believe what it says. I'm going to believe that God's steadfast love for me is greater and more vast than the entire universe itself. I'm going to believe that his steadfast love for me not just for humanity, not just for creation, all those are certainly true, but specifically, this is a covenant love. This is a loyal love to me. This is God's steadfast love for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven, David says. Your faithfulness to the clouds. I think of, again, we want to use our imagination whenever we're reading poetry, whenever we're reading the Psalms, and Psalms are filled with poetry. Remember, poetry is always appealing to our imagination, And it's appealing to our emotion. And so we want to slow down and we want to imagine what's being said here. God's steadfast love extends across the universe. It is as vast as the universe itself. As vast as our galaxy is, is God's steadfast love for you. As as vast as the universe of billions of galaxies is, is God's steadfast love for you. You can't even begin to comprehend it. You can't even begin to understand it. His faithfulness extends to the clouds. They're always over me. I'm using my imagination when I think of even today, it's an overcast day. There's clouds everywhere you look. That God's faithfulness is like the clouds over my head. It's constant. It's always with me, always over me, always overseeing everything that happens in my life. I received a lot of bad news yesterday. It's one of those days. Not tragic news, nothing like that, but just one series of news and then that's bad news and then something else and that's bad news. And it was just a bad news kind of 24 hours. Kind of put me in a bad mood. So actually what this does for me sitting down right here with you is it reminds me that God's steadfast love extends across the universe and is toward me. His faithfulness always oversees me, always orchestrates everything happening in my life. I can trust his steadfast love in all my circumstances. I can trust his faithfulness in all my circumstances. He says in verse six, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. It's constant. It's stable. God is always right. His will is always right. His word is always right. God is always right in his plan. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. It's stable. It is constant. Your judgments are like the great deep. They're unknowable. They're mysterious. But God's judgments are always beyond our understanding, but they are true. And it says, man and beast, you save, O Lord. It's interesting because when you look at these two verses, five and six, I think what it's also telling us is that God's Steadfast love and faithfulness and righteousness and judgments are at the very fabric of creation, the very fabric of the universe. They are interwoven in the very fabric of the atoms that create the universe itself is God's steadfast love and faithfulness and righteousness and judgments. 
And so this is what God is going to restore the creation on earth to be in the kingdom of God and the restoration of all things and the renewal of all things, what Jesus called the renewal of all things when he returns, that this is going to be what the kingdom of God is, where it will be visibly apparent. It won't be hidden from our eyes anymore. There will be fear of God before all of our eyes because we'll see God as he as he truly is. Sin won't speak in the depth of our heart anymore because we'll have resurrected bodies without sin. And we get into verse 7, I think a description then, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. If we really understood it, saw it for what it is, believed it for what God is telling us, if we just believed God is his word, we would know how precious his steadfast love. Remember David said in Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now, I think these verses are talking about the renewed, restored earth. I think these verses are foreshadowing the kingdom of God. They are true now in a figurative, metaphorical sense in lots of ways, but I think they'll be visibly true, literally true in the kingdom of God. When I say literally true, there's still all metaphor here. This is poetry. So verse 8 says, They feast on the abundance of your house. This is figurative. Just imagine yourself in the abundance of God's house at his feast. This is not talking about the temple because there was no temple in David's day. This is talking about a figurative house of God. Just think of God's house. You are invited in. And you are taking refuge in the house of God and, and, and living in his steadfast love and feasting. This is that word. Use your imagination. What do you think of when you think of being in the house of God, feasting on the abundance in God's house? This is what David wants you to think of when you think of God's steadfast love for you and when you think of God's plan for you at the very fabric of creation itself in the very renewal of the earth, the very kingdom of God, they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Now, it's mixing metaphors, right? You're not just drinking from a river when you're feasting in a house, but he can't, he can't out-metaphor himself. He can't out-figurative language himself. He's trying to give this picture of abundance, a river of delights that you drink from when you're drinking and feasting on the abundance of God, the abundance of God's presence, the abundance of God's steadfast love for you. Imagine this, feasting on the abundance, drinking from the river of his delights. Verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. There's that word again. We looked at this in our last episode when we were talking about Jeremiah 2. The fountain of life, the fountain of living waters is another way of saying it in other passages. This is a fountain that the Bible wants you to imagine. Use your imagination. What comes to your mind when you think of a fountain? A river of delights, a fountain of life. God's very presence is life itself, abundance, drinking from a river of delights. With God is the fountain of life. This is the antithesis of sin. Sin makes our lives small. 
sin takes us away from the steadfast love of God. I don't mean that God stops loving us. I mean that we're turning away from it. We're thinking something else is better than his faithfulness. We're thinking something else is better than his steadfast love. There's no fear of God before our eyes, and we're listening to transgression speaking deep within our heart and flattering ourselves so that we cannot hate our own iniquity and see God's abundance and see God's steadfast love and see God's faithfulness and see God's rightness and see God saving both man and beast in his kingdom and feasting on the abundance of his house and drinking from the river of his delights and being in the presence of God is like being in the presence of a fountain of life itself. And it says in your light, and it's another metaphor for life in the Psalms, in your light, do we see light? We're filled with light. We're filled with life. We're filled with a fountain of life because God is the very essence. He's the I am. He is the giver of all life. He's the essence of all that exists because he is the creator of everything that exists. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. Verse 10, O continue your steadfast love to those who know you. This is what we're trying to do in this podcast. We're trying to get to know God better through his word, through praying scripture, through meditating on his psalms. Continue your steadfast love It's a great prayer, right? Can you say that right now in your own heart toward God? Oh, God, the giver of all abundance, the fountain of all life. How precious is your steadfast love. Oh, continue your steadfast love to me. You feel like you're praying something that the Bible already promises, but we do that all the time. We, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, God's kingdom is coming, whether you pray it or not, but you're called to pray it. Praying it does something in your expectations. It does something in your mindset. It does something in your heart. So we pray, oh God, continue your steadfast love to me. And then verse 11, lead, let, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me. I think about the, the, foot of, the foot of something on me is like a, an oppressor. That my own arrogance, my own pride, my own self-sufficiency, my own self-preservation, my own self-whatever it is that you want to end it with, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-whatever. Let not the foot of self, let not the foot of pride, let not arrogance come upon me. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me like an oppressor keeping me from the abundance of God. Nor the hand of the wicked drive me away, taking me captive by my own pride, my own flattering myself, my own arrogance. Verse 12, last verse, there the evil doers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. I don't want to be there to you. I don't want to be fallen. I don't want to be thrust down by my own arrogance. My own transgression speaking deep within my heart, keeping me from keeping the fear of God from before my eyes, but flattering myself in my own eyes so that I cannot hate my own pride and my own sin that is trying to get me to turn away from God's precious steadfast love and his faithfulness and his righteousness, trying to keep me from feasting on the abundance of his house and giving me drink, keeping me from drinking from the river of his delights. That's where real delight is. That's where real pleasure is, is in God's river that's in his house, that's in his abundance, because he's the fountain of life. Oh, continue your steadfast love, David says. 
Think through this now as we just sort of pray. Just, we just, we're just sort of praying to God now. I just want to invite you right now in your heart. God, I fear you. I'm not hiding from you kind of fear. I fear you in the awe sense. This God who created this universe is beyond my comprehension, and yet you have this desire to speak to me. Here in the Psalms, your Holy Spirit has spoken so that I can speak to you by the words that you have spoken to me, that God is communicating to you right now by his Holy Spirit through his word. Through this word that his Holy Spirit has written through his prophet David over 3,000 years ago, that Jesus prayed over 2,000 years ago, and now here you are, and you're able to pray it. Imagine the miracle of that. Think of that. You're able to pray these words that are so ancient, written by the Spirit of God, prayed by the Son of God, prayed by the one who was human, God who became human in the flesh to die on the cross for you, to rise from the dead for you, to be the first of the risen from the dead so that you can have a restored body and a restored earth. He's given you this prayer to pray, and so now you pray it. Oh God, I want the fear of God before my eyes. I want to stop flattering myself in my own eyes so that I protect my sin. I don't want to protect my sin. I want to hate my sin. Because your steadfast love, Yahweh, your steadfast love, O Lord, the I Am, your steadfast love for me extends beyond the universe. It extends throughout the galaxies. It extends to the heavens. Your steadfast love for me. God, I praise you for your steadfast love for me. I believe what your word says right now. I'm not looking for a feeling. I'm not looking for something that I have to believe. In. I'm believing your word, that your steadfast love for me, your steadfast love for me is more vast than the galaxies themselves, more vast than the universe itself. I believe it. I say it. I declare it. Your steadfast love for me is precious. Your steadfast love for me is beyond my comprehension. I believe it. I stand in it right now. Your faithfulness to me, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of bad news, in spite of the things that I can't control, and in spite of many bad days ahead, I know that your steadfast love for me extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your faithfulness are like clouds that are always over me and overseeing all of my circumstances. I can't hide from them. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, constant and stable. You are always right in your will. You are always right in your plan for my life. How precious, how precious is your steadfast love, O oh God. And I take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I feast, I long to feast, and I can feast even now by your Holy Spirit, even now by faith, even now as I draw near to you in prayer, even now as Christ indwells my heart and I am in Christ, even now as your Holy Spirit lives in me, I feast on the abundance of your house. I look forward to that day in the kingdom of God when it will be unhidden and fully experienced, but I do so now by faith. I feast on the abundance of your house. I drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. 
in your very light, I see life, the life that you give me, the life that you speak into my soul, the life that you are because I am in your presence. I don't want to sin. I want to be in the fountain of life. I want to be with you in the fountain of life. I want to drink from the river of your delights. I want to feast on the abundance of your house in the kingdom of heaven. And even now, continue your steadfast love for me, O God. Let not the foot of arrogance oppress my life, my own arrogance. Let not the hand of my own pride drive me away from you. I want to stay in your presence. I want to stay in your love. I want to live in the abundance of your house, feast on the abundance of your house, and drink from the river of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life. I submit to you. I trust you. I bow my head to you. I am still before you because I fear you, God, creator of all that there is, in a way that brings awe and wonder and transcendence into my life. And I trust you. I trust your word. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.